0: Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Welcome, 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 everyone. Go ahead and grab a seat. And we're so glad to worship with you. My name is Tim. And I'm Brittany. Yeah, so we get the amazing privilege of pastoring here at AJC. I love Easter. Any yeah. other Easter fans in the room here? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's an amazing time. Not only do we get to talk about Jesus and what he did in uh, that incredible moment so many years ago, but we also get cookies. I mean, there are, there are actually cookies out there. So I don't know if any of you saw, that. anybody see the cookies? Did, uh, any, do I have any cookie fans out there? Yes, cookie fans? There you go. Cookie fans, oh, 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 there you oh. go. There you you're
1: go.
0: Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I mean, there's actually there's a couple a in there, guy. so you can share them. <laughs> if Jesus was here, he'd break them up and they'd, he'd feed everyone with them. So
1: I think you might have embarrassed your children. Oh, sorry,
0: sorry. Okay. <laughs> hey, anyways, as Shelby mentioned, uh, it's our passion to partner with God in the renewal. And restoration yes. of this world by being a King Jesus family. Mm-hmm. And we've spent the last four weeks preparing our hearts for this moment, yeah. uh, centering ourselves in the story that puts King Jesus at the center. We are here for him.
1: Yeah. And for almost 2,000 years, the church has greeted each other in a really special way every Easter. Because Easter is such an important day for those of us who follow Jesus, it's the day we remember how Jesus arose from the dead. So church, he is risen.
0: He's risen indeed. Amen. Amen. And Resurrection Sunday is God's answer to the enemy's lie in the garden. Because Mm -hmm. God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. That he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in Jesus would get life, real life. And this is the story that we get to live out. So we're going to take a look at it. Uh, If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. There's men and women around the room that would love to get a Bible into your hands. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep this one. Uh, But we're going to be looking at Luke 24. Uh, And this is this account of Jesus' resurrection moment. So once you get there, go ahead, uh, open Luke 24, and then once you're there, stand on up to your feet, uh, because Britt's going to read that text over us.
1: Okay, Luke 24, 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed that that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In the fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen because he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So again, church, he is risen.
0: He is risen indeed.
1: Jesus, we bow before you today, and we just sit in awe of what you have done for us. So Jesus, we thank you for today. Today is a celebration where you chose to come back and to give us life eternal. So Lord, as we dive into the scriptures, as we sit with the words that you've spoken um, so long ago, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would just make it so clear to each one of us today. I pray for every single person in this room that there would be a sweet encounter with you, Jesus, today. Um, We love you, and we praise you, and today is all about you. In your name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Thanks, my love. So let's imagine this moment together as a community. The the sky had darkened, the veil had been torn in two, and Jesus had died. For those of us who joined us on Good Friday, Molly did a fantastic job of bringing us into the grief of that moment, the moment where Jesus hung on a cross as a sacrifice for our sin, where he cried out, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit and he breathed his last. Most of his disciples had scattered, except for the youngest, John, and a few women, and Mary, his mother. They now stood at a distance, likely weeping, likely in shock, as the crowd, ironically waiting for some miraculous intervention, slowly dissipated. Now, wanting to speed things up again, Uh, The Romans began breaking the legs. The Roman soldiers began breaking the legs of the others that had been crucified. But when they got to Jesus, they found that he had already passed. So they simply speared him in the side. Joseph, a wealthy council member from Arimathea and a secret disciple of Jesus, made the bold request to Pilate that the body of Jesus might be removed from the cross and placed into a tomb. And Pilate agreed. So, so two unlikely men, Joseph and Nicodemus, both members of the very council that had sent Jesus to the cross, under the watchful eye of a few of the women who had followed and cared for Jesus, go through the grim process of removing his body from the cross. Imagine, imagine how difficult that endeavor would have been, removing pierced hands and feet, cleaning off the blood and the gore, carrying his lifeless body to the tomb that Joseph had cut out for himself and his family, and then carefully wrapping his broken body in linen strips that were packed with myrrh and aloe to the Jewish custom. And all of this happened before Friday sunset because then, then was Shabbat or Sabbath, the day of rest, where Jesus' body would have rested in the quiet of the stone grave while his disciples would have rested and worshipped and grieved in the quiet of their homes. Without any light to help with the anointing process, the real preparation of the body, because there's no fool way those men did it right, uh, would be left to the women to come back on Sunday morning. And they would go care for their dead rabbi. friend. You know, when we step into moments like this one, we become deeply aware of how much life is actually ruled by death, or maybe put more accurately, how much life is ruled by the fear of death, the fear of what might happen. We may not talk about it or really even think about it very often, but then we might read in the news of, of another school shooting Or we maybe get the difficult diagnosis from the doctor, or our life circumstances, they just get out of control, and fear of what might happen suddenly begins to take over. Our comfort might be in the driver's seat most of the time, but when the road gets windy, when life gets intense, our fear of death often takes the wheel. And sometimes it does it in the most subtle of ways. About a month ago, I finally gave in and went to the doctor for that checkup, you know, for the checkup that you need to do when you become a person of my age. Uh Now, when it comes to going to the doctor, I have to confess, I am a stereotypical man child, okay? Uh, It's not that I don't like doctors. I mean, actually, one of my closest friends is a doctor. I believe in medicine for other people. Um, (laughs) But as a part of the experience, I needed to go and have my blood checked, blood drawn. So, you know, I went down to the lab like you do, and it was filled with people. It was just, there was so many people there, and I had some meeting that I had to be at. So I just was like, you know, I'll come back later. It's amazing how later can be stretched, right? I mean, it was like probably like four weeks later when I suddenly realized that I was putting it off for increasingly dumb, important reasons, uh, it was at that moment that I had one of those like come to Jesus moments. Uh, behind my excuses, behind my important meetings and all of my busyness, I was afraid. Fear had wriggled its way into my mind and my procrastination was simply an excuse to not deal with the what if of my blood work. You know, you'll be happy to hear, all is well. Um, But isn't it amazing how fear can wiggle its way in? I mean, how else do we explain the absence of the rest of the disciples? At the very moment when their rabbi needed them the most, they fled. Men who had said, even if we have to die, we won't leave you, Jesus, had left him. And the crowds, you know, the ones shouting, Hosanna in the highest, they were all gone. Only John, likely a young boy, shout out to Gen Z. A couple of women and Mary, his mother, had stayed and now were staying at a distance. And Joseph, who had been a disciple in secret because of fear, and Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus in secret at night because of fear, stepped forward to care for his body. So, what was everyone so afraid of? Well, that's simple. They didn't want to end up like Jesus or any of the fake messiahs that had happened and come before him. They didn't want to die. And then, then came Sunday morning. Luke tells us that on Sunday the first day of the week. Remember, because Sabbath is the seventh day of rest. On that Sunday, the women got up early and I imagine the previous day and evenings had been excruciating. Did they keep hoping to themselves that maybe it had been some sort of bad dream? Had any of the disciples returned? And what did this mean for everyone moving forward? Was all hope lost? The woman head to the tomb likely thinking to themselves, at the very least, we can do the task that's in front of us and we can get Jesus properly buried. Then they could worry about what would come next. But when they got to the tomb, this is a section of stone that had been cut away from a a rock face with a massive boulder rolled in front of it. That boulder had been rolled away. And as they approach, I'm, I'm sure confusion set in. And the mystery only deepened when they entered the tomb and found that his body was gone. Luke continues and tells us that suddenly two angels stood in their midst and the women hit the ground in terror, which is often the response when angels show up. But it's the angel's question that's left ringing in the back of our mind. Luke 24, about midway through verse 5, goes like this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Remember, says the angel, and I I can't tell if the angel's words carry like compassion and kindness, or if it's more of a sense of like exasperation and a come on people, but but maybe it's a little bit of both. Remember, says the angel, Jesus told you that this was going to happen. You could almost hear all of those gentle and not so gentle rebukes of Jesus to his disciples along the way. How many times had he told them? How many reminders? He knew he was going to die and he knew he was going to rise again. Why was this idea so difficult for them to catch? Well, I think a part of the answer is that it was kept from them. Like, like a veil over their eyes, like obscuring the truth. Only six chapters earlier in Luke, Jesus had literally laid out this plan for the disciples. But Luke tells us that the disciples didn't understand, that the meaning was hidden from them. They couldn't comprehend it. Maybe, maybe it was the enemy's lies, like in the garden. Or maybe it was just so far outside of their box that they couldn't make logical sense of a Messiah that wasn't a warrior or a king that would come as a suffering servant. And We get the advantage of having the story like literally in our hands. But imagine a time before Easter Imagine a world where the concept of someone coming back from the dead, not a ghost, not a zombie, a fully alive human, imagine a world where that was a new idea. they had seen Jairus' daughter, and they had seen the widow's son. They had stood out front of Lazarus' tomb and watched Lazarus hobble up to the door still in his grave clothes. But all of that had happened when Jesus was there with them, alive. And he had just died on a Roman cross. They understood when Jesus, or they hadn't understood when Jesus had explained what was going on, but now, now they were living inside of what Jesus had described, what he had done. And Luke tells us in verse eight that it was finally starting to sink in. Now again, Some of this is easier for us on this side of history. I mean, even though many in our society don't believe in the miracle of Easter, most of us are still wrapped up in this story that took place 2,000 years ago. It's the hinge of our history in many ways. It's a great story, the greatest story. But I sometimes worry that we don't understand it any better than those early disciples. Sure, we've, we've read the book. We've even seen the movies. Any chosen fans out there? Yeah? But our, our version of the story, it can sometimes read a little bit more like a historical record. Like we approach Easter as an event to remember and celebrate from our past and then maybe eat a little bit of chocolate. You know, I'm the only one eating chocolate today, apparently. Okay? Okay. It goes something like this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into the world sent by God. He lived an extraordinary life. He taught and did a bunch of amazing things, died brutally at the hands of the religious leaders in Rome, rose again, realigned his followers, and went back to heaven. Sound pretty close? I mean, we know that, a sacri- that his sacrifice, it paid some sort of price that we should have paid, and that his death It means life to us somehow, but it all happened so long ago. And if we're honest, sometimes our faith can look a lot more like knowing things about Jesus and his story than actually having a real relationship with Jesus and living as a part of his story today in this moment. And I find myself wondering if the angel was here with us right now, would he be asking us the same question? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? My friends, Jesus' name may be in the history books, but he is very much alive. And his life may be used to talk about this religious moment in history, but this, this is his story. He defines it all. And although Jesus may not be walking around in the flesh right now, his spirit now inhabits his people on every continent of every color, shape, and size. And while he himself sits right now at his father's side, interceding, fighting on our behalf in the heavens... He is very much alive. The story of Jesus did not end on Resurrection Sunday, but death did. And it's because of that Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, the moment where Jesus broke free from the bondage of death, that we can truly live free today, in this moment, now, Luke would later write down Peter's first sermon in Acts 2 where he's addressing the growing crowds. And he's talking about this very moment, telling them that God knew what he was doing when he sent his son to the cross because he knew he was gonna raise him from the dead. Acts 2, 24 says this, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible. Jesus was the author of life. And Peter tells his listeners that there was no way that death could keep Jesus in bondage. It was impossible. Like those moments for any of those in the room that have kids, you know, especially boys where you get on the floor and you're wrestling with them, and they, and they are so sure that they have you pinned, right? They're so sure. And then you just stand up and shake it off. I keep telling my kids, it's like, it would be the same now. Like... I can still shake it off, right? No, it's not possible. I, just when the serpent of old thought he had God's son wrestled into the grave, Jesus broke death's bonds from the inside out. And he broke them permanently. The apostle Paul would later write in Romans, Romans 6, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus has become the master. Death no longer has any power. It's like he kicked the door right off the hinges. And what's more, he's extended that gift of life to everyone who would believe in him, to everyone who would call on his name. Paul would later tell a young church planter named Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news. Jesus now calls us to his set-apart life. He beckons us. He's like, he's standing at the door. He's like, come on, let's go. I've got this incredible life for you. Not because of anything that we have done, but because he loves us and he has a purpose for us. He knew our enemy had bound us because of our sin. So he dealt with our sin on the cross and then he broke, destroyed death itself through his resurrection. And what does he leave us with instead? Instead of the death, instead of the bondage, he leaves us with life and immortality a bit better than chocolate eggs. Right? Am I right? Right? And this is the bit of God's story that I, I sometimes think we miss. A place where that, the angels question, it should provoke us. Yes, Jesus has given us life and immortality through his sacrifice. But our freedom from death doesn't start once we die. It started the moment we cried out for mercy. Mercy the moment we made Jesus our king, that is the moment that Jesus fills us with his very life and walks us from death into immortality. And just in in case you think I'm making too much of this new relationship that we have with death, the apostle Paul, he takes it a step further, quoting the prophets, he begins to mock death itself almost daring death to stir fear in his heart. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Do you hear? Death, where's your victory, Huh? because I know where my victory is. Death, where's your sting? Where's your, where's your hampering? Where's, your, where's the fear that you want to put in my life? I know where my victory is, says Paul. I know where life is found. These are not the words of a crazy man. These are the words of a man set free, no longer bound by the fear of death, but living in the wake of victory. I mean, what what happens to a human when we begin to understand the weight of immortality? What happens to the shackles of fear when when they fall from our wrists? Courage, hope, joy in the face of suffering, love in the face of persecution. The world becomes a canvas of possibility and risk becomes our friend we've got nothing left to lose. When we're no longer bound by death itself, our lives become the kings. And he can do whatever he wants with them. No longer bound by fear, we can throw ourselves into the life that God has given us. I have a friend of mine right now, he's a family friend, who's coming to the last weeks, months of his life amazing guy, quiet, kind of loves Jesus, pretty reserved, but we're watching as a family around him as he, he loses his attachments to the things of this earth that really don't matter and begins grabbing onto the most important things. And they're replaced with courage and hope and joy. And suddenly he's becoming an evangelist. This quiet old guy is like suddenly sharing the gospel with whoever will listen to him because that's the most important stuff. The most important bits. He wants to see Jesus. And he wants to bring as many people through that door of life as he possibly can. When you have given your death, to the king of life, you begin to grasp what true freedom is. Able to sing with Luther from that old hymn, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. We lose connection with the 70 or 80 years that Jesus has given us and we remember that everything beyond this is where real life is. This is just the beginning bit, the intro to the story. When we give our death to the king of life, we start to live lives set free. Jesus said it best to Martha only moments before he would raise her brother Lazarus from the dead in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that is the question, right? That's the question that Resurrection Sunday provokes in us. Do we believe this? Do we believe? Preparing for this sermon has like, it's been like putting shock paddles on my heart. It's forced me to ask myself, does my life reflect a life set free from the burden of death? Are my choices and my decisions those of a fearless man who's entrusted his life to the king of life? This kind of freedom, it demands a response. C.S. Lewis put it this way. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of his kind in the whole history of the universe. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. My friends, if if Jesus can break the bonds of death, what kind of bonds can he break in your life today? My friends, if Jesus holds open the gates of life itself and he stands there with a big smile, just come on, let's go. Let's go for it. If He if He can do that, what kind of life can He fill in you today? No matter of your age, no matter what, what where your station in life is, no matter where you've been placed, what can He do through you if you give Him your life? My friends, if Jesus has offered a new way of immortality today, why settle for bunnies? <laughs> Seriously, would you stand? My friends, I, I feel like there's there's a there's at least a couple different sets of people in this room today, but one Group is in this room, and you came here. Maybe you were invited, maybe you've been to church a hundred times, a thousand times. But honestly, you've never gotten to the moment, you've maybe even looked the door square in the face, and you've like, you know, this is the call Jesus saying, like, like, come on, let's do this, let's get after it. And you you have waited for some reason in your life to answer that call. Well, I want to suggest something to you today. Today is the day to answer. Today is the day to run through that door. We have a baptismal tank right there waiting. Go home full of joy, covered in water. Today is a good day to get soaked. You're going to get soaked anyways. If you have not given your life to Jesus, if you have not been baptized, today is an amazing day to say, yes, Lord, I want it all. Not just a little bit of this life. I want all that you have for me to live fearlessly, courageously, set free. I want the chains to fall from my wrists. I want to walk out the door a new man, a new woman. Today is the day. And I'd like to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for what you did, for the way that you stood up after death and walked away. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God that sees us, that knows us, that loves us. And you don't don't abandon us. You've kicked the door down and now you stand there and you beckon us. You don't force us through. You simply sit there, stand there saying, I have so much good for you. Would you give us the courage today to say yes, Jesus? Fill our hearts with more of your presence and beckon us into the waters. Beckon us into the life that you've called us to. We love you, Jesus. This is all for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at JesusChurch.org.